Father in heaven, we thank you so much for the opportunity to come to this place to sing your praises. Lord, we thank you for the privilege that we have to collect our resources, that we might use them for your kingdom and for your glory. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to study your word. We thank you, Lord, that Sunday after Sunday, without fear of persecution, we are able to come into this building to open your word and to hear from you. Lord, nobody has come to this place this morning to hear from me. Father, I have no words. I'm not capable in my own strength or in my own power. And so, Lord, in spite of a weak and and frail preacher, I ask that you would teach us from your word. Lord, thank you for preserving your word. Thank you that even today, some 2,000 years later, your word, by the power of your spirit, is still transforming lives and changing hearts. Help us now, Lord, to hear from you, to be motivated, to be challenged, to be convicted, to be encouraged and comforted. Lord, help us to listen with attentive ears as each of us, all of us together in this room, humbly sit at your feet and listen to how you might speak to us. We ask all these things, Lord, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. If you have your Bible with you this morning, and I hope that you do, I encourage you to take it and turn with me to the Gospel of John chapter 14. The Gospel of John chapter 14. If you do not have your own copy of Scripture with you this morning, feel free to borrow one from the back of the pew that's there in front of you. Um, If you do not own your own copy of the Bible at home, feel free to take that copy of Scripture home with you as our gift to you. We'll be happy to replenish it before next week, so you can take that as our gift to you. But regardless of how you're accessing John chapter 14, whether it's digital or in print, I would ask, if you're physically able, would you please stand out of reverence for the public reading of God's holy word We'll be looking together at John chapter 14, verses 1 through 21. I will read for us. When I've completed the reading, I will say this is the word of the Lord. If you are grateful for the word of the Lord, I encourage you to respond out loud with a hearty thanks be to God. Let's look together now at John chapter 14, beginning in verse 1. Jesus says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also, and you know the way to where I am going. But Thomas said to him, Lord, We do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it's enough for us. 
Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you yet a little while and the world will see me no more. But you will see me because I live. You also will live in that day. You will know that I am in the father and you in me and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them. He it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. We come to John chapter 14 this morning, and we are continuing in our study through the season of Lent that is quickly drawing to a close. In this season of Lent, we have spent the last several weeks looking at the various times throughout the Gospel of John that Jesus takes the name of the Lord, Yahweh, the I Am, and places it upon Himself. This is the same exact way that God gives His name to Moses in Exodus chapter 3, verses 14. And then following each one of those identifying statements, Jesus gives a metaphor And I just want to remind you, we've talked about this almost every week, that when we read the words, I am, it doesn't really hit us the same way. Because that's how we would say, I am Nathan. I am a father. It's it's not extra emphatic. It's not an overemphasis on what we're trying to say. We use superlatives today, and we use them in ways that make them meaningless. Everybody is the greatest. Everybody is the most bestest. You can go to Little Caesars and they have a pizza you can buy that's advertised as the extra most bestest. And if that's not us using superlatives to their extreme, I don't know what is. Let me just give you a side note. All right. This is free advice. Little Caesars says that that pizza is the extra most best. It is false advertisement, okay? That is not the extra most best pizza you will ever eat, all right? I know that's shocking to some people. Now, it is probably the most pizza you can get for $6, but it is not the extra most best tastiest pizza that is out there on the market right now. 
I say all that about superlatives because that's the way the Greek language works when it comes to saying I am. This way that Jesus is saying I am the way, the truth, and the life. When he says I am the bread of life. When he says I am the light of the world. To us that doesn't sound like a lot. But what Jesus is really saying when you look at it in the original language is me, myself, I The one who is speaking, I am. And you never spoke that way. Especially in a Jewish context. Because using those extra references to yourself always meant you were intentionally hearkening back to the way that God gave His name to Moses. There were other ways, plenty of other ways that Jesus could have said, Hey guys, I'm the bread of life. In a really low-key, kind of relaxed manner to where it's not taking on the name of God. But these seven times, Jesus intentionally puts himself on par with the very name of God that they wouldn't even write in the text. They'd write it and scratch it out and cut that section of parchment out to make sure nobody said the name of God because they had such respect for it. And so, seven different times in the Gospel of John, he takes that title on himself. And then to give us a better understanding of what the name of God, what the name of the Messiah means, he adds these metaphors behind them, right? The bread of life in John chapter 6. The light of the world in John chapter 8. The door of the sheep in John chapter 10. Then again in John chapter 10, the good shepherd. And then in John chapter 11, what we looked at last week, he is the resurrection and the life. Today in John chapter 14, he is the way, the truth, and the life. And then next Sunday we will look at John chapter 15, he is the true vine. All of these statements help us to understand who Jesus is. The reason we're spending time on these statements is because everything hinges on Easter. Everything hinges on Resurrection Sunday. And who Jesus is going into the crucifixion and who Jesus is coming out of the resurrection makes all the difference in the world. I say that because there's a pattern that develops within these I am statements, specifically in the metaphor portion. If you think back through what we just said and think back through these sermons, there's one word within the metaphors that's repeated. And there's only one word that is repeated in the metaphors. Out of seven sayings, Jesus uses the word life three different times. He says, I am the bread of life. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. He says, I am the way, the truth and the life. If you want life, the only place to go is Jesus. If you want life in God, the only way place to find it is in Jesus. Because life is a person and that person died and laid down his life only to take it up again. Because when you are life, you have the ability to lay life down and then pick it back up. And so why on earth would we follow some maniac who preached the things that Jesus preached if he was not indeed life itself? There's no reason to listen to or read or follow a single commandment that Jesus makes if he's not the life. If life cannot be found in Jesus, then it's pointless. Folks, i got to tell you, that's the reason that Jesus repeats Throughout the Gospel of John, He is life. 
if you want true life, if you want to actually live, you need Jesus. And what's beautiful about this particular Sunday's message of him being the way and the truth and the life is that Jesus makes it exclusive. Jesus zeroes in that truly there is only one way to know and to have life. Do you realize how sad it is that people who go their entire lives, they are born, they live, and they die without ever trusting in Jesus. Because Jesus is life, they live an entire lifetime without ever knowing life. They're going through the motions in an empty shell. They don't know or experience life because they don't know the person who is life. How many times over and over again do you see these interviews and read of these articles of these millionaires and billionaires and it's never enough? Folks, I don't know that I could spend a billion dollars in life. I don't think I could find enough stuff to spend a billion dollars on. And and if you don't believe me, look on YouTube at the comparisons between millions and billions when you get to money, okay? Billions of dollars. If I were a driven enough person to make a billion dollars, you better believe I'm done. I'm tapped out. It ain't worth the stress. I got a billion dollars. I'm going to live fat and happy the rest of my life. My kids are going to live fat and happy the rest of their life. My grandkids, my great-grandkids, we got money on generations to come. Ain't no sense in going into work. We doing whatever we want to do. What do the billionaires do, though? I got one billion Maybe I could get two. I mean, I already got one. I mean, one feels this good. Maybe two would feel even better. And you know, maybe we're not billionaires in this room, but so many of us are in the same game. Jesus is life. And there's a lot of things that we experience as we live that are not tied to life. And we get distracted by the things that we experience as we live and we miss out on life. Because we want another car. I mean, I, I really, I like this truck. I like it. But have you seen what they're about to come out with? I mean, like, that truck is looking nice. I ain't gonna drive it to the woods. I'll buy another truck and have a beat up truck for my woods truck. And then I got my good nice truck I can drive on Sundays and people see me rolling up in my nice truck. They have to be looking up because it's gonna be jacked up, you know? That, that truck looks good, but that's not life. And there are people who live their entire lives distracted by the things we experience in life without ever knowing life. Folks, Jesus is life. If you're unhappy in your life, the only remedy for it is Jesus. If you're discontent in your life, the only true remedy is to know true life. And that only is found in Jesus. Everything else in your life will ultimately feel empty It's one of my favorite lines from the movie Cars. And if you have not seen the movie Cars, you're missing out on a cinematic classic, okay? It's not just because I have small children that I've watched this movie and could quote it from the beginning to the end, okay? But Doc Hudson, he was a famous race car. These race cars are living things. I don't, don't, don't try and explain it. Don't try and make sense of it. It's a, it's a Pixar movie, okay? It's supposed to be whimsical. But this race car has raced his whole life and he had a bad wreck and he, he got thrown out and discarded. 
And he just feels like he had so much left to give and so much left to do. And this young race car meets him. And he says, you're Doc Hudson. This is amazing. You're the Hudson Hornet. He says, you've won the Piston Cup like four times. And the guy goes, you know what? It's just an empty cup. You know, every trophy you will ever live and earn as you live your life, it's just an empty cup. It's just an empty trophy. If you don't have Jesus, you won't have life. And that trophy will never satisfy you. That new car will never satisfy you. That new job will never satisfy you. That extra money will never satisfy you. Because you're empty and you don't have life. Because the only way to have life is to have Jesus. And if you want more out of your life, then ultimately what you really want, whether you know it or not, is you want more Jesus. Because if you want life, you really want Jesus. Because the only way to get life is Jesus. He's the way, he's the truth, he's the life. That's what it means that Jesus is life. If you want to be resurrected one day, you need to know the resurrection and the life. If you want to be sustained throughout your life, then you need to know the bread of life. If I want the things that I need in life to sustain me, then I better not be dependent on the money that comes to me from my job at the church. I better be depending on the one who is the bread of life. Everything in life ties back to Jesus. Your daily needs, your resurrection one day, and knowing what real life is. That's why Jesus makes such a big deal out of being the bread of life, the resurrection and the life, the way, the truth, and the life. It's the only word that shows up three times in all seven of these metaphors, okay? Three times among seven metaphors. That's why we started there at the end. So we started with, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Now let's work back to the truth. Jesus is the truth. I love the fact that we're talking about Jesus is the truth here on Palm Sunday. Because one of the things that we get mixed up in about life is the same thing we get mixed up in about truth. We think truth is something we can know. The same way we talked about last week, how resurrection is not an event that we look forward to. Resurrection is a person that we can know personally. The same thing is true about Jesus when it comes to the truth. We think that the truth is something, some facts that we can know. But the truth is a person. And so as Jesus makes his triumphal entry into Jerusalem for the last week of his life, people celebrate. The reason we call it Palm Sunday is because they got palm branches. They were waving them. They were laying them down on the street. They were taking off their nice coats and clothing, laying them down in front of Jesus. He's riding in on the colt of a donkey. He's fulfilling loads and loads of prophecy. And they think that they know the truth about Jesus But in actuality, they didn't know the truth about Jesus because they didn't know the truth. The person who is Jesus. Had they known Jesus, they would have known the truth. And they wouldn't have been so confused about what was going on. The only reason that they laid down coats and palm branches and celebrated Jesus coming in to Jerusalem is because they just knew in the depths of their being that Jesus was coming in to free them from Roman oppression and captivity. This is the prophesied Messiah. This is the one who is opening the eyes of the blind, who is raising the dead. This is the one who is making the lame to walk. This is the one who is healing the sick without even touching them, just saying the word. And so 
they knew Jesus must be the one who's going to step into Jerusalem and say the word, and the Romans are just going to run scared. They were stoked. But see, they didn't know Jesus. They thought they knew Jesus. They thought they knew the truth. And they were so shocked when they found out the real truth. And you know, the truth hurts, doesn't it? Man, the truth can be hurtful. They were hurt. They got hurt because when they found out the truth, it was such a shock from what they expected it to be. You know why we fuss and fight? Unmet expectations. Misunderstandings. I thought it was this way. It actually is that way. Do you know why we fuss in our marriages? I expected my spouse to do this. They did that. Now I'm mad. I have an unmet expectation. I expected Jesus to show up on this donkey and kick some tail. And you know what he did? He died on a cross. What is up with that? And so they're furious. They're angry. And so it takes less than a week for them going, Hosanna! Woo! Jesus is here. What's up? It's about to go down, y'all. Get ready. Everybody get your sword. Everybody get your spear. Everybody get your stuff, your plowshare. We're about to go to war. And Jesus is going to kick some rear end. Woo! So wait a minute. Hey, whoa, Jesus, you're saying some real weird stuff. Hang on that. Hang on. We got to, we got to do what? We got to eat your body? We got to drink your blood. You say you're going to die. You're going to destroy the temple and build it in three days. I don't understand. You're saying you're God. This is not, this is not right. What are you doing? Jesus, just be quiet, man. You're ruining it all. And then they finally say, this is not who we thought it was. This is not the truth. Have you ever been very passionately convinced that you knew the truth? And so you fought for the truth to find out it was wrong. How many times do we read about stories where these lawyers passionately fought to put a criminal behind bars? Decades later, new DNA evidence comes out. There's absolutely no way that that person could have committed that crime. 20, 30 years of their life are gone because somebody thought they knew the truth and they didn't have a clue. How many times can we be passionately convinced of the truth and set things in motion because we think we know the truth when we don't? Think about, as, as horrible as it is, think about 9-11. The people who hijacked those planes and flew them into those buildings were passionately convinced that when they died, they'd be welcomed into paradise because they sacrificed their life for their religion. Absolutely and utterly convinced to the point of hijacking a plane and driving it into a building. And if you and I think for one second that we're not capable of the same kind of atrocity when we think we know the truth, you're fooling yourself. The things that we will do, the lengths that we will go to when we think that we know the truth and that we're fighting for the truth. There's no end. There's no end. If you and I think that if we had only been there, we would never have crucified Jesus. We would have understood who Jesus really is. We would not have allowed them to put him on the cross. Think again. I know my sinful heart. I'd have been the first one. Crucify him! He's a liar! This isn't what was promised in the scriptures. Crucify him! I'd have been the leader of the mob because that same capacity for sin and misunderstanding and unmet expectation from not knowing the truth 
is just as plausible in my heart as it is in your heart, as it was in every one of those hearts. The only way to remedy this is to know the truth. Not my truth, not your truth, not my perspective, not your perspective. I'm not talking about a perspective. I'm not talking about an equation. I'm not talking about a fact. I'm not even talking about a thing. I'm talking about a person. The only way to know the truth is to know Jesus. Jesus is the truth. And here's something that I absolutely love, okay? There's all these scholars out there, people with numerous, numerous postgraduate degrees, brilliant people who make educated guesses, and they call them scholarly opinions based off archaeological evidence. And they make these educated guesses, and everything that they go to do tries to undermine what this book is, where it came from, who wrote it, when it was written, and what it's about. They dedicate their whole lives thinking that they're discovering the truth and they're helping all of us ignorant backwoods hillbillies and rednecks know the truth. And they couldn't be more wrong. And every so often, all along the way, it won't ever make it into the big stories, okay? If they find some fake gospel like, you know, the the birth gospel of Peter or the gospel of Thomas or something that has absolutely no credibility, then they'll blaster that all over everything that you can see. You won't be able to get away from it. Oh, Christianity's fake. It's false. We found new evidence. They put it everywhere. But this week, in March, last month, okay, last month, I'm going to give you some details. So stick with me because I want you to be able to go and look this up because our gospel, our Bible is true. And all along the way, there's little discoveries that reinforce how true it really is. In March of 2022, that's last month, just in case you're wondering, talking about a few weeks ago, a team from the group called the Associates of Biblical Research, that's the name of the group, they're doing excavations near Mount Ebal in Israel. You can find Mount Ebal in the Old Testament. Go look it up. First Kings. Great read. Mount Ebal in Israel. You know the name of the crew, the Associates of Bible Research. They're in a physical location, Mount Ebal. This is all true stuff. This happened. These are facts. Reporting. They made an incredible discovery. The excavations director from the group, his name is Scott Stripling. If you want to look up how real and how true this is, the guy's name is Scott Stripling. He's the director of the excavations that were taking place at Mount Ebal in Israel during March. With me? Okay. Nobody nodded? We'll just keep going anyway. We have, this is Scott, Scott Stripling, quoting, We have now discovered the name of Yahweh, the biblical God of Israel, in an inscription dating from earlier than most skeptics would argue that the Bible even existed or that there was even the ability to write down a sacred text. Do You know, there's people out there that they say, Hey, no way Moses had nothing to do with this. This is written hundreds, thousands of years after Moses was alive. The Hebrew language wasn't even written down when Moses was around. He could not have produced the Ten Commandments. Your Bible is false because the Old Testament is a lot newer than you think it is. Well, guess what? These folks, just doing some normal excavation, they found a little piece of lead with an inscription on it. They dated it using all the same dating techniques that all the other fancy people do. They sent it off to other labs. They let other outside groups inspect it. It's all valid. It's all true. And they found out 
that the Hebrew language existed long before they thought it did. And they was writing it down long before they thought they could. And it has wording from the dead gum book of Deuteronomy on it. Hello. This stuff is true. This stuff is true. And those little finds all along the way validate what already is true. Other people are trying to distort the truth. But God's Word is true. Because God's Word is about Jesus. It's pointing us to Jesus. And do you know who Jesus is? Jesus is the truth. If you want life, you got to know Jesus. If you want truth, you got to know Jesus. If you want the way. If you want to know how. How do I get there? How do we make this work? The way is Jesus. Well, what, what if I just come to church more? And what, what if I just really rack up what I'm doing in my local community for my church? That's great if it's helping you know Jesus. When you come to church, do you see Jesus in the people you come to church with? When you come to church, do you leave closer to Jesus than when you got here? When you come to church, are you here because it's what you're supposed to do? Or did you come here so that you could meet the way? So that you could know the way. And you could know the truth. And you could have life because you could have the way and the truth in your life. Jesus uses the definite article. He uses the word the on purpose. It's in the text. He's not a way. He's not some way. He is the way. Man, that sounds exclusive. It is. But when you think about the fact that there shouldn't be a way, it seems mighty inclusive to me that God made any way. And that way is Jesus. If you want to know the truth, if you want to know life, if you want to know the way, it's Jesus. Jesus is God. He's one with the Father. We read all the extra in that passage so that we could hear him say from his lips, he and the Father are one. That he is God. And that if you want to know the way, the truth, and the life, you follow him. You know him. You live like he lived. You want to prove you love him? Keep his commandments. How do I know his commandments? How do I know him? In this book that we just talked about how true it was. It's how you know it. Everything in this book points to him. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the life. The way may not be easy. The truth may hurt you. Let me tell you something. When, when I realize my own sin in my own heart, when God exposes to me what kind of man I really am, apart from His grace, and it's the truth, it hurts. Do you know why your spouse can hurt you more than anybody else? Because when your spouse says something and they add truth to what you were already afraid was true, it hurts. It hurts a lot. And they know right which insecurities and right which uh, frailties to press in on and press till it hurts. They know you're walking around hoping people don't think you're fat. They know that they hold all the sway. 
And if they say, you know what? I can't believe how fat you've gotten. Them saying it destroys you. Take out the word fat and insert whatever your insecurity is. The same thing is true about the truth. When how sinful we really are is exposed to us, it is hard and it is hurtful. But don't miss the last part. There's life. Because of grace, because of mercy, all of that sin that is exposed in the truth is covered by new life. The old has passed away, the new has come. And we can experience what real life is supposed to be by knowing the person who is life. So this morning, if you've been following Jesus your whole life, do you really know the way? Are you really following the way? How well do you know the truth? Are you experiencing life as you live. If you've never met Jesus before, let me just remind you and encourage you, He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. No one gets to heaven. No one gets to the Father except through Him. The only way to know the way, to know the truth, to know the life, is to know Jesus. I just have to ask, do you know Jesus today? If you don't, please give me the honor and the privilege of introducing you to him in just a few moments. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much that there is a way that we're not wandering through life without knowing the truth. There is truth. And we can know the truth. It's not something beyond us. It is not something we can't comprehend. Jesus, it's you. Thank you that there's life. Life abundant and full. Because you are life. Lord, forgive us. Or we forget those things. Distract ourselves from those facts. Lord, any of us who've been following you throughout our lives that we have forgotten that you are the way and you are the truth and you are the life and it's exhibited by the way that we've been living our lives Lord help us to repent and turn back to you to trust in you to know who you are to follow after you whatever it takes whatever the cost Lord if there's anybody listening to my voice here in the room or online And they don't know you as the only way, the only truth, the only life. I pray that they would surrender their heart and their life to you right now. That they would follow you all the rest of the days of their lives here on earth. Lord, would you move among us. May your Holy Spirit lead us, guide us, and direct us. Help us to respond in obedience. We ask all this. In the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit.